This is a Shir on Likutei Sichai's Chelek Yud Zayin, Sicha, the second Sicha on Pirkei Ovis, the fifth Perek. Says the Rebbe. In um, the end of, we'll soon talk about if it's the actually the end, or towards the end, almost the end, of the fifth parak of Pirkei Avis. But here in the asterisk of the Sicha, it says it's also the Siyam of the Mesechta Mishnayis of Avis. Um, because in the Mishnayis, the way it's set up in the Mishnah, Pirkei Avis is five chapters. The sixth chapter, as it denotes, the very opening words of it is Rabbi taught in the language of the Mishnah, but it's really a b'raisa. b'raisa the word b'raisa comes from the word outside. Uh, these were teachings that remained outside the um, structure of the Mishnah. The Gemara is full of b'raisas. But in order to have, between Pesach and Shavuos, in order to have a sixth week, so we have the, um, the there was a sixth chapter added, but it's really not part of the Mishnah. So the perikeh that we're learning is Siyam of Masech Avas. As we're going to learn towards the end of the Sikha, according to some versions of the Mishnayis of us, this is actually the last Mishnah. So this is, and even in our, uh, in our Siddur, the Rebbe Siddur, it's not the last one, but it's the second to the last. Basically, here we're talking about the Siyam of Masech Tavis. Okay, so Ben Hei says, Lefum Tzaira Agar, which means according to the pain is the reward. And the Bartanura explains, what does that mean? According to the Tsar, and let's uh, put into the tsar which you suffer, which you um, undergo by learning Torah and doing mitzvahs. Commensurate with that, your reward will be a lot. So let me uh, talk about the word pain here, because we're going to be talking about the word tsar. It's going to be popping up entirely in the sicha all over. The word pain and the um, um, is 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 associated with negativity, associated with uncomfortability. It's associated with with yeah. So you know, to say a Mishnah according to the pain will be the reward, and keep using the word pain is going to sound is going to be grating on our ears. And like when I finished giving a shir on this sicha, somebody said, "Wow, Rabbi, what about the joy of Judaism? Why are we talking here? Why is the whole sicha talking about pain?" Um, so let's reframe. Somebody actually in my class popped up and said. In the gym, there's a saying, no pain, no gain. But people keep going to the gym, people keep working out in order to get pained. So let's use the word pain in the context of strain. Okay, so when, or effort. In order to truly, you know, I'll try my best. I'll try my best isn't good, usually you don't mean it. When a person truly tries their best, there's an element of strain, there's an element of them doing more than their comfort zone, leaving their comfort zone, and in that sense, there's a certain pain. Effort, real effort, is, could be equated, associated with pain. So I'm going to use the word tsa'ar, um, just without translating it every time. But when I say the word tsa'ar, if I would translate it, I would say, uh, not pain, but strain, effort. So according to your effort is the reward. Effort, though, seems a little bit too weak for some people, because effort sounds, again, like I said, there was a chassid who said it, he was a Russian, I think it was, I don't know if it was a Mendel Futafas or one of those caliber Hasidim. When he went to America, and he came back and he said, did you learn any English? He says, yes, I learned. 
Some English. What's the English? He had to collect money for the yeshivas. He learned, I said, I learned the English. I'll try my best. What does I'll try my best mean? He says it means the person's not going not gonna to really do anything about it. <laughs> I'll try my best. So effort. Effort. Effort to the point of strain. And even, in a sense, to the point of pain, as within the context of somebody who works out, and the pain is the gain. Okay. Sorry if it's taking time on, on such a simple thing, but I think... It's important to state at the outset. So the concept of getting reward for mitzvahs, this is an obligation according to halacha. In other words, we're going to talk here about a halacha, that the Eibishter, so to speak, Hashem is obligated halachically to pay for those that are doing his mitzvahs, as we find from the fact that the Rambam brings it in his book of halacha. And he gives many details about the reward that is there for mitzvahs. In other words, it's, it's not just a, a voluntary thing from Hashem's part, so to speak, but it's built into the mitzvahs, that you do a mitzvah, and Hashem, so to speak, is obligated, according to the halacha he set up, to reimburse you. Just like an employer has to play an employee, that's the way Hashem set up his system. And remember, we say that Hashem doesn't give us mitzvahs that he doesn't do. Hashem, what he does, he tells us to do. So, from the fact that in the Pirkei Ovis elsewhere also, that we, we speak about the world being like a place of employment, Hashem being our employer, we being the workers, so then it's obvious that Hashem needs to, so to speak, give us. So what's the novelty of what the statement in Pirkei Ovis is saying? It's obviously that the statement is novel in as much as saying we're paid according to the effort, according to the tsar, not according to the result, not according to the profit. Ah, so it could be that the person struggled very hard, he tried very hard to do something, but the output was not very worthwhile. If you had to evaluate the effort versus the output, you would say um, you spent more energy than what was achieved. So nonetheless, we say, according to the pain, the strain, the effort, you get rewarded. Hashem looks at what effort you put forth. We have to understand. Schar mitzvah is from the very first place not something bereft of effort. As our sages told us in various places, starting from this week's parsha, the week that we're learning this, at least in Tashim Pei Gimel, Bechukaisaiteleichu. means if you go in my statutes, literally. Rashi teaches it means if you toil in the Torah, not just learn Torah, if you toil in Torah, then I'll give you the reins in a proper time. We find in Chazal, brought in Tanya, from the Pasuk, there's a difference between Hashem, somebody who serves Hashem, somebody who doesn't serve Him. It doesn't mean somebody who doesn't serve Him and just does whatever He wants. It means there's a difference between somebody who's studying His teaching a hundred times to somebody who's studying His teaching 101 times. Because the analogy given there in the Gemara is that if the norm is studying a hundred times, then 101 times is a great effort. To what extent is the effort recognized? The example is if they, uh, if you, if you um, usually hire a donkey for 10 um, measures, for 10 kilometers, let's say, and you pay one zoos, the moment you go 11 kilometers, you pay two zoos, not a tenth. You don't pay a tenth more, but because the usual distance is 10, the moment you move out of that zone, even by one-tenth of the previous distance, you're going to be paying double because it's the effort that is recognized, and that is talking about somebody who serves Hashem, we want to know how much did he put forth effort. Similarly, in the laws of Karbanis, there are some Karbanis, there are some items that there's a sliding scale. 
and that a richer person brings a, a, a full animal, somebody who can afford less brings a, a, an animal of the sheep family, somebody who can afford less brings a bird, somebody who can afford even less brings meal offering, brings flour. About the carbon of somebody who brings flour, it says, when a soul brings, not a person, when a soul brings this, this sacrifice. Why does it say nefesh? So the Chazal tell us, because who usually brings a meal offering? A poor person. When a poor person comes forth and really makes an effort, and he feels humble, I consider as if he brought himself. So in other words, all across the Torah we find, there are more and more examples that effort is recognized, not just outcome. This is not something we have to find at the end of a Pirkei Ovis. Similarly, by a, even by the laws of an employer and a worker, the fact that we find in Shas, in the Gemara, and in the books of, uh, of, of, of uh, Peskim, those that decide halacha, the fact that we find that you pay a person according to the outcome, the profit, if the profit was, uh, if, if the expense was less than the profit, why do we pay only the profit? Why don't we cover the expenses? That's only in certain cases. For example, when the, owner, when the, when the employer actually didn't, didn't um, go out and hire the worker, the worker did it on his own volition. For example, somebody went by the field of his friend and says, you know what, I think I'm going to be planting some plants here. He didn't have permission. Or the employer said, look, I want you to do this and this in my field, or I want you to do this and this for me. For example, I want you to take this garment and dye it red. And he dyed it black. Or I want you to dye it black, he dyed it red. Or <clears throat> when he... Um, when he took it and he didn't die it, uh, it didn't die it um, in a proper way. So in these cases, we say, look, yeah, you did. He says, look, you asked for it red. I made it black. The guy says, yeah, red would have uh, it would have been worth two hundred. Black, it's only worth one fifty. The workers say, yeah, but I spent. So I'm going to only pay one fifty. He said, but I paid one hundred and eighty for the dye to make it black. He says, that's your problem. I told you to make it red. So I'm going to pay you for what I benefited, the profit that I'll pay you for. But I'm not going to pay you for your expense. In other words, I'm not paying you for the effort that you put forth. I'm paying you for the outcome. But that's only when it was not, wasn't asked. Right? However, when a, a worker was hired by the Balabayis, and he told him he wants him to do this and this thing, so even if the effort, if the expenses cost more than the profit, and even when there was absolutely no achievement by the employee, we'll soon give you an example of that. Nonetheless, for example, right here, that brings an example, somebody who hires a worker to bring cabbage and some other kind of therapeutic food for a sick person, and he went and he found the sick person, Nebuch had already passed away. So now we're left with a scenario the employer, the one who dispatched the courier with the medicines, paid a lot of money, promised a lot of money to the courier. Courier came there, the person's passed away, nothing was achieved. But since the messenger that was dispatched did what he was asked to do, he did whatever, he, fully what he was asked to do. There was another issue that took away the ability to be successful. Hashem took away the neshama of that person. The halach is you have to pay him in full. Even when you paid more because there was an emergency, so this courier was paid more because of the urgency, more than the average courier, it doesn't matter. He did what he was meant to do. He said, I need you to go right now 
urgently and I'll pay you more than I usually pay. He went and it was too late. It's not his fault. He pays. So if so, it's not understood. If, in our case, moving it back to mitzvahs, if the person did what he's meant to do, he did as much as he could do in Torah mitzvahs, and there was some benefit, maybe the, the benefit that he brought, so to speak, in terms of doing his mitzvahs, wasn't as much as he could have, and it wasn't as much as the effort he put, but how much more so if even an employer has to pay when the mission was done, he has to pay according to what he said the expense will be, here also, we don't look at what he achieved through the mitzvah. Did he do it well? Was it, was it beautiful or not? We looked how much effort did he expend? How much strain was there? How much tsar was there? And Hashem has to pay according to that. Base. Number two. In the, in the aforementioned laws about the tircha. In the aforementioned laws in about the, the effort, the strain uh, for doing for, that, a, that an employee does for his employer. So we have to take into account it's, it's unrelated, really, to the profit, to the outcome. In other words, um, sometimes the person made a lot of effort. He did what he could Right? And even but yet even when he did what he could, from the from the employer's perspective, what he had wanted achieved wasn't achieved because some other matter came in from outside and disturbed. He didn't want, he didn't require the, the, the employer from his side didn't require or want the effort. It didn't have to be that effortful. There's no gain for him in that effort. For the employer, the only gain is the outcome. In our case with Hashem, there's a gain in the strain. The tsar of doing Torah mitzvahs is not different, and is not unrelated to the actual outcome that Hashem is looking for. The Ramam says in Shemena Prakim that somebody who desires to do Avedis is more prominent, more choshuv, and more wholesome than somebody who doesn't desire to do Avedis, and he leaves sin, he, he, he walks away from sin without you know, without being attracted to it. And to the extent that we would say, says the Rambam, that the reward of somebody who has to exert more powerful self-control to control himself is more rewarded than the person who doesn't need to exert that self-control. About this it says, what we just read in Pirkei Avos, according to the Tsar, is the reward. More than that, there's even a statement that Chazal said a person should really not say, I wouldn't want to sin. That's why I don't sin. Say, I would really want to sin. I'm not doing it because Hashem said not to do it. In other words, there's, there's gain in that pain, in that strain. So even if so, it's even more not understood. What's the Chiddush that we say according to the Tsar will be the reward? The Tsar itself is, is giving Hashem profit. Right? It's not that less was done because it was he put forth more effort. Hashem made the effort because that's part of Hashem's plan. So what's the chiddush that Hashem is going to pay according to the effort you put forth? That's what he puts the effort in for. That's what he puts the difficulty in for. It's a doichek to say that that's what the Mishnah really tells us here. This is the basis of this whole concept. Like the Rambam brings it, that, as it says, from Agra, but there's so many places where our sages tell us this concept. To say that it's here, this is where the source is, is difficult. And we're also going to say, 
later the Rebbe is going to point out the the um, the concept of Pirkei Ovis, don't forget, is Mili Dachasidusa. It's matters of Lifnim Yeshua Sadin. It matters beyond, beyond centrality. So the explanation is like this. Gimel. When the Mishnah says, according to your Tsar is your pay, the Mishnah is coming to tell us something new. This is, by the way, mind-blowing what the Rebbe says here. Every Tsar, and especially true pain without the blend of the fact that there's also a bitter sweetness there's a sweetness to strain you're doing what Hashem wants here we're talking about when there's a pain and here we could use the word pain from doing Torah mitzvahs which the person was not obligated in the person has taken it upon himself what do you mean? person is born obligated how could he, how could we say that the obligation the effort is something that was voluntary ah there is one case where teda mitzvah is voluntary when is that when a person is a convert the person is a ger he wasn't obligated to do teda mitzvah took it upon himself oh so and that and there could be an element of tsar there. So let's see what this means. The square brackets. According to this, we'll understand the Mishnah is saying, according to the Tsar, will be the reward. Why it says it in Mesechta Ovis and at the end of it, the whole Mesechta Ovis is about Milida Chasidusa, things that are beyond the letter of the law. So here we're talking about something different than just obligation. Also, we see when the uh, the one who said this statement, Lafum Tsaira Agra, his personal name is not given. He's called Ben Hey Hey, the son of Hey Hey. You know the letter Hey. What's the letter Hey got to do with it? Because Avram and Sarah had an extra name added to their names. So he's a son of Avram and Sarah. Who's children of Avram and Sarah? Converts. Ben Hey Hey was a Ger. And the reason we're emphasizing, not using his name, but emphasizing his lineage of being a Ger is to point out that here we're talking about a tsar, when the person took upon himself an effort and a strain and a pain even, which he wasn't obligated in. Just like the whole mitzias, the whole essence of a ger, when he becomes a convert, it's as if he's born. Before that, he was not obligated at all to do tere mitzvahs. He comes on his own volition. He chooses to take upon himself tere mitzvahs. No obligation. But he took upon himself all the pain and effort and strain of doing Torah mitzvahs. So we could think that one second, uh, hello, nobody forced you to do it. I, 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 like an employer, nobody forced you to do it. You came and did it. Imagine somebody comes into somebody else's field and he, he does something he wasn't asked to do. We just said before what Allah is. You pay him according to the benefit, not according to his effort, not according to his expenses. So one may think that the ger would get paid according to the outcome. How well are you doing mitzvahs now? Forget about the effort it took you to become a ger. Forget about the strain and pain. You have to push your way to become a ger. I should just pay you based on the mitzvahs you're doing afterwards. So the mission says, no, you, the reward comes also for all that effort, even though you weren't commanded on that. And by the way, this is not just something that applies to a ger. Because the same concept, when a person takes upon himself something he wasn't obligated in, 
do we now look at the effort or do we only look at the outcome? In other words, he comes to Hashem and says, I worked so hard, but look, I only yielded. I only, I only did a little bit of a mitzvah. So is it like an employer that says, I didn't ask you to take upon this Herculean thing, this, this, you know, this strainful thing. Thank you that you did it, but yeah, okay, I'll pay you for the outcome, but not for the pain, no. By a ger, it's in, it's in an extreme. But there's also the reality like this by every yid. In other words, when a person takes upon himself a hidur mitzvah, an embellishment, a beautifying of a mitzvah, which is not required, according to the strict letter of the law, or he does a special minig, where he, where he strains himself, or he accepts upon himself an appointment to do something of holiness, which brings with it difficulty. Who said you had to volunteer for that? So the law will also apply what we're saying here, that um, according to Hashem pays, according to the tsar. In other words, even though you weren't instructed to do it, you weren't obligated to do it, so you could say, you came and did it on volition, I'll pay you based on outcome. No. The chiddush here is Hashem pays according to the effort, even in that case. You could ask, however, when somebody goes and works in somebody else's field, if the balabites, if the employer, if the owner of the field has already revealed, after the work was done, if he comes and says, you know, I don't want to admit. But that guy, you know, thank God, he had the initiative to go and do this. I'm, I'm really happy about what he did. Oh, yeah, you're happy? Pay for the expenses, not just for the benefit, for the, for the profit. So now the question really comes back. Joining this back to Hashem. Hashem likes it that a person goes beyond the letter of the law, that he goes, embellishes on a mitzvah, he does something he wasn't even asked for. So obviously Hashem is going to pay for it. Why is that midas chasidus? So the explanation is like this. There's another angle here. It's not just that we're saying he took something he wasn't, he wasn't um, instructed to do. The effort was not commensurate with the prophet. Hashem says, look, I, I, don't come... Let me try and give you an example. Imagine, uh, imagine sometimes happens with a kid. The kid said, takes upon himself, he's going to um, clean the kitchen. And he works and huffs and puffs. Look, the result is not like a professional cleaner, an adult would have cleaned the kitchen. The kid cleaned the kitchen. But he comes and says, look, I worked so hard to clean the kitchen. So is the parent going to give him a treat based on how clean the kitchen looks? And it's not really, there's a lot of imperfection there. Or is the parent going to give a treat based on the effort that he put forth? So you could say, nobody asked you to take upon yourself to clean the kitchen. I'm going to give you a treat based on what the kitchen looks like now. But the kid says, but I worked so hard. I didn't ask you to take upon yourself that chore. So I'm only going to give So the Lefinimi Shur Sadin is no, I'm going to pay you for the effort too. But the Rebbe is asking, even a parent... The parent enjoys the fact that the kid really made an effort for him. So it's not the Fnimishas, and of course the effort is, is also appreciated. So where's the Lefum Tzara Agra here? So where's the Fnimishas and Hashem is so kind and benevolent? He's giving us for the effort even though it was voluntary. Of course, he likes when we volunteer and put forth effort. So of course he's going to pay. Just like somebody who in the end appreciates that the guy did something with the field, even though he was on that ass. Of course, he has to pay for the expense. The explanation is like this. There's something else added here. When a person takes upon himself an additional effort, an additional bother and pain in doing Torah mitzvahs, not being obligated in it, like an embellishment of a mitzvah or doing a good deed, for example, when you do a good deed, 
and um, you did it three times, so it's like a nether. What happens if afterwards you don't do it? So now, what happens is that you took, you volunteered for something good, you made a lot of effort in doing it, you didn't say it's going to be Belin Neder, so now you have an obligation. Now when you don't do it, you have a sin, you have a pshia, it's like you're negligent. So now you caused yourself a, res- a resultant loss. In other words, let's, let's highlight it by a ger, says the Rebbe. By a ger, um, a ger, oh actually there's a, there's a footnote here, a very interesting footnote. For example, imagine somebody took upon himself to, to a position of prominence, where now he's more scrutinized. The Gemara says in Yuma that if uh, what is the Chil Hashem, a Chil Hashem desecrating Hashem's name, for somebody who's Rav, Rav said, for me, it's like if I took meat from the butcher and I didn't pay immediately. Well, most people, you know, they have some credit, they have some leeway. No, but for somebody like Rav, he said, I'm more scrutinized, I have to hold myself to a higher level. If I, if I took the meat, I didn't pay immediately. In other words, when you take upon yourself a higher level responsibility, you now get judged in a more scrutinized way. So what happens if you mess up th- at that stage? So you caused yourself a trouble. Why don't you just remain mon- average? And then even what you did now wouldn't be considered uh, a stain. You, you, you jumped to be above average. You jumped to do a mitzvah to reach for the stars. And now you weren't able to do it. Now you have a problem. Now, now you're negligent. Now I'm saying, oh, 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 why didn't you do it? If you wouldn't have started, you didn't have to do it. By a ger, it's even more, says the Rebbe. Because if, if a ger goes through all the effort and becomes a ger, and then he doesn't live up to what he really committed to, in other words, you know, he's, 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 not, he's not living up to, to the full um, obligation. And by the way, we find this concept. It, it says that converts are difficult for the Jewish community, like a sapachat, like a kind of, uh, of, uh, of a, um, a dis, um, sapachas, um, a discoloration of the skin that could bring impurity. But why is it difficult? Because they may not be fluent in the particulars of the mitzvahs, and it may be they're trying their best, but it's not actually, they're not schooled in it. Ironically, there's another chazal that says that geirim are, are so into it that they do even more than the average Jew. But anyway, there may be an element where they're not familiar in the mitzvahs, and the regular and the other Jew will learn from that unfamiliarity. It may it may, right? So there's a reality we know could be that a person became a ger and then he's not living up to the totality of what he accepted. And and we actually have to warn a person before he becomes a ger. Why are you doing this? Right? Don't you realize that there are things now that if 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 you if if you don't do them, you're going to get punished till now. No problem. So why are you doing this? But he did didn't listen to that. He said, you know, I do want to take it upon myself. I want to convert without taking into account the difficulty and without knowing that in the end, he may slip up. So when he slips up, you're going to say, what are you going to say? Hello, nobody asked you to do this. You made, you made your, he said, but I worked so hard. It was such a strain. Okay, but nobody asked you to do it. You're going to get paid according to the outcome. And if you messed up now, no, we can't pay you for that. So we can't pay you for the gain, for the strain. In other words, the Chiddush Hilafum Tzayra Agra tells us that it's not like, what could it be like? Without having this Chiddush that the Pirkei Ovis says, it would be like a worker who, d- who took on a mission to take 
vats of wine, for example, jugs of wine, from place to place, and they broke on the way because of his negligence. He took them in a in a in a in a, in a he took him in a bumpy road, which he shouldn't have taken on the, the bumping bump, and they broke. What's the halacha then? The balabais doesn't have to pay. On the contrary, the worker broke the things; he has to pay the the owner. So, in the in the standard case, if we compare this to a um, if we compare this to a regular employee situation, take the extreme: somebody who converted, went through all the effort, but in the end he broke the jugs. In the end, he, he didn't live up to keeping the mitzvahs where he should have. So, how should Hashem look at this? If it was an employer, he says, "Look, I, I, you were taking the the." upon yourself to take the jugs from here to there, but you broke them. What do you, what do you want? How am I supposed to pay you? So comes the Chiddush, from Tzairag, Hashem still pays according to the pain, strain, and effort you put forth. Is there a parallel to this in employment? Yes. He says, because in the laws of employment, when you go beyond the letter of the law, then you do pay. Just like what we said, when you hire somebody to take jugs from place to place, if he doesn't have what to eat, it's a mitzvah to pay him anyway. Beyond the letter of the law. Pay him. The guy schlepped the stuff, that's what he lives on. And he messed up. He took it on a bumpy road and it broke. Yes, it was his fault. But if you're an employer who has a heart, who's ready to go, beyond the letter of the law, you pay him anyway. Hashem! In that in the analogy, the person took upon himself something. By the day, the Rebbe says, in a second I'll get to some Ha'aras, took upon yourself something, and you didn't live up to it, Hashem still, and you messed up. He says, why did you, why did you do that? You didn't have to take it upon yourself. You said you're going to take it from here to there, you still in all. Hashem goes, Hashem pays nonetheless. And the Rebbe points out an interesting thing in R35, when you look at it in Panimius, when we talk about a case where loss was caused to the owner, to the employer, that's, we, we look at it, wow, if somebody sinned. No. A, um, the reality of, according to the inner stream of Torah, the reality is that we're always considered lacking in front of Hashem. So, if it's mitzvahs that we were instructed upon, so we try our best. It's not like we asked for them. We didn't ask for them. And Hashem gave it to us. We try our best. But when we took upon ourselves something additional that we weren't obligated, so the fact that we're always before Hashem like lacking becomes glaring. We took something extra, but that extra still, you're still, you're still separate from Hashem. Compared to the greatness of Hashem, you're still lacking. So, in other words, there's a, um, you said I'm going to try to get closer, but in the end, you got, but there's still a distance. So there's, in other words, you see that the effort is more than the, the profit. In other words, it's not just such a wild, extreme case, only for a gear, or only somebody that took upon himself. Anyway, look at the uh, 35, if you're able. Another order here, which is, I don't want to jump over, 35 star, this will tell us, the way the Rebbe is learning this Mishnah will now tell us what's the difference. Why in Pirkei Ovis? After we've already told you in the beginning of Pirkei Ovis, don't be like servants who serve their master for reward. 
We've done the whole Pirkei Ovis. The end of Pirkei Ovis now we're saying, by the way, you're going to get rewarded according to your effort. We're being taught not to care about reward. Now you're telling us that, oh, by the way, you're getting, even the effort, if it didn't succeed, but don't worry, the effort will bring you reward. No. The Rebbe's trying to, the Rebbe says, the Mishnah, based on the way we explained it, the Mishnah's telling us about how Hashem is. Hashem will even give reward for effort that didn't bring the result it was intended. And we have to learn from Hashem. In other words, learn from Hashem. So if you have an employee that this situation happens, you should go lift Nimish's If he doesn't have what to eat, that's what he's relying on, you should still pay. Additionally, what we're saying is that Hashem, well, before a person is about to take on something extra, he may get scared. Say, but what happens if if I take upon myself to do it, but in the end, I'm not able to do it, or something happens. And then I'm going to be held accountable. Maybe better I don't take it upon myself. So the Rebbe says, no, you have to know that Hashem sees it favorably nonetheless. Even if there could be some kind of a, a, a loss. In other words, something happened and, and what you hoped would, that you would be able to achieve and do didn't work. Don't be scared. Hashem is telling you in advance, I, pay, I appreciate those efforts. I pay for those efforts, so to speak. So there's a practical application here. Because a lot of times people get, they say, what, am I going to volunteer to do something? And then what happens if it doesn't work out? Or what happens if I'm held to a higher scrutiny and uh, now I'm going to ex- be vulnerable? No, no, no. Hashem, Hashem appreciates that. But don't worry about that. Try. Again, there's another halacha that everybody mention here. Don't. don't <laughs> better don't commit to something if you're not going to do it. Right? But here we're not talking about that. Here we're talking about somebody who's taking about himself to do something. And in the end, it doesn't work out. No, no, no. Hashem appreciates the fact that you wanted to do it. Okay. Hey. Even though this din, that it's a mitzvah to do the finish, to go beyond the letter of the Lord, to give him his payment. It's only said when Taka the Balabite, the employer, asked the employee to do it. Here it's different. In our case, talking about conversion, nobody asked the person to convert. Somebody who took upon himself an additional mitzvah. Nobody asked him to take an additional embellishment, a hidur mitzvah. However, remember we said, the Balabais does like what was done generally. Even though in one aspect there was a mess up, but he generally likes what took place. For example, there's a parallel in Allah. If somebody took a, the, 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 the jugs of wine in a shaky place, and what happens is that not all the wine broke, just one uh, what you call it? Just one jug broke. The profit from transporting the jugs of wine is still it's still profitable. Less, even when you take into account the loss of the one or two jugs that broke, generally there's still a profit in the fact that the transportation took place. So I'm st- the, the employer is still happy that this transportation took place. He's just not happy that it, the guy took it on a bumpy road and some broke. So in that case, the employer mitzad midas chasidus has to pay exactly the courier fee. He has to pay the full transportation charge. Even for, for taking those jugs that broke. They charged $100 for 100 jugs. It's only 80 turned up. He has to pay $100. Because that was the transportation fee that was agreed upon. Because, and and he, he, the employer wanted what took place generally. He was happy about the fact that the vats got from place one to place two. Um, 
Therefore, also in our case, since the Balabais, Hashem in this case, he is happy about what the person took upon himself, took upon himself the, 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 the strain of an embellishment of a Hidur Mitzvah. It's just that he should have done it by saying, Bli Nede, he shouldn't have had the setup where afterwards you're being held to not keeping your Nede. Still in all, Hashem gives the entire payment. Same thing by a gay. You say, a gay, nobody asked you to become a gay. The mere, the actual fact that somebody comes on his own volition and decides he wants to convert Hashem, this is a pleasing thing for the employer for Hashem. And even though afterwards there was negligence in the fact that he didn't fulfill the mitzvahs with all of their details, could be the gay didn't live up to what he had intended to do. Doesn't matter. Hashem generally finds it favorable. Wow. The movement, the, the action, the motion that a person came to Hashem and insisted he wants to be part of Hashem's people, even though later that brought a, 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 a loss of some kind, he didn't live up to it fully, Hashem's still generally happy. So it's like the person who took X amount of, of jugs, some broke, but in general he's happy that the jugs got moved from place to place. Um... Yeah... Um... There are, you know, by the way, there's footnotes here all throughout the sikha, which are amazing. I wish, yeah, I wish I had the time to fully absorb them and study them and research them. Vav, six. We could say that the fact that the one who says this statement, that according to the tsar is a reward, is called with the name Ben Heihei, it's to emphasize this aspect, the fact that he's a ger. Even though we said that this, this concept can apply by somebody who's born Jewish, but it applies when he's taken upon himself something he wasn't obligated in. Even so, Hashem appreciates that, even if he may have messed up through that. But still, it's much more powerful to talk about getting reward for an effort that the person was not obligated in whatsoever. So let's explain why is that. Because the whole creation of a Yid is really L'shamesh Eskenet, to serve Hashem's master. For this we understand that really a person is meant to use all of his energies and faculties to serve Hashem. To the extent that our sages say, every Jew is obligated to say, when will my deeds reach the deeds of my forefathers, Avram Yitzchuk Yaakov? So therefore it's really difficult to pinpoint a, a, a tircha, a bother, an effort, and a strain that a yid can do in serving Hashem in which he's absolutely not obligated. Because even things that are beyond the letter of the law, even things that are matters of chasidus, in the end of the day, you can't say that Yid is totally potter from it. His full-time occupation was created to serve Hashem. So anything he's able to do, even strain himself, really he's obligated to do. Even if it's beyond what it says in Shulchan Aruch, but your whole function is 100% serving Hashem. So whatever you can do, till your maximum, 100%, by a ger, before his gerus, he has no obligation. On the contrary, a ger that comes to them, we try and convince him out of it. So the effort that he takes upon himself, the strain, even the pain he takes upon himself through gerus to do tera mitzvahs is in a way it, 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 he was never he was absolutely not obligated in it, right? 
even in those mitzvahs, says the Rebbe, that even those mitzvahs that he was obligated in, but there's a totally different quality, and um, uh, there's now a new Yetzahara, so to speak, a new challenge to fulfilling even the things he was already fulfilling. So even for those things, he's taken upon himself additional strain and pain. Nonetheless, says the Ebishter, says the Mishnah, Hashem pays according to the effort. And this is not just for Gerim, it's put into Pirkei Ovis, which is relevant to everybody. Because, yes, while we said, if you look with a, with a magnifying glass, anything a Yid does extra is really already obligated him, no. But when a Yid takes upon himself an additional strain in Teda Mitzvahs, which he wasn't obligated according to the letter of the law, especially when he's changing his nature, so it's, in a way, similar to a Ger, who took upon himself something he wasn't obligated to at all. More than that, the Mishnah that says the Fum Tzayda Agra is according to some versions the end Mishnah of the fifth Perik of Perikavis, which means it's this, it's the it's the climax of Mili da Chasidus of the whole Mesechta that talked about matters of Chasidus of the Fnimishim. Because in this Mishnah, why would it be such a such a high level Mishnah, the climax of Mili da Chasidus? Because this Mishnah tells us that even something that a person was not obligated for at all. Here we're talking about moving away from a ger, moving, moving it back to the realm of every Jew, born Jews. The, the, the notion of Lefum Tzayr Agar, to what is it talking? We said it's talking about somebody who's doing something that is totally not obligated. In other words, the highest level of serving Hashem with the most strain, with the most effort, that's what Lefum Tzayr Agar is addressing, not regular mitzvahs. When you reach and jump to your tippy toes, Hashem, even if, and we're saying, even though you may not have lived up to that, and so there's some loss, no, but Hashem sees the effort. So in other words, we're talking here at a climax of, of a person doing the most he can, way beyond the letter of the law. Zion. <clears throat> now that I was going to challenge the entire notion he started off with. So basically we have, till this point, till Zion, we have a, um, a clear understanding of what it means, to sum it up, it means when a person took upon himself a voluntary effort, which then led perhaps to damage, Shem doesn't just pay for the benefit that emerges deducting the damage, Shem pays for the entire effort. We said that the Rebbe says, why is it so important as a hero? Because it tells us, go for it. Go for it. Not to do something you know you can't do. Go for it to do something even if, you, if you're not sure. Don't worry about it. Go for it. Hashem appreciates that effort. Zion. Now that Rebbe challenges this very notion that he started off with, we spoke in Sif Aleph that the payment for doing a mitzvah is an obligatory obligation, so to speak, according to halacha, that according to the laws of the Torah, a person has to get paid for doing Torah mitzvahs. We can ask that one second. When do we talk about an obligation to pay? We're talking about an obligation to pay when somebody is a hired worker either by day or he's a contractor, he took upon himself to do a certain job. That's only somebody who's not obligated to work. And he's doing it voluntarily. 
An employer goes and then hires somebody. But what about a, a slave who's been sold into slavery? Now he's a slave. That's his full-time occupation. What does he have to do? He has no entity. He has to do whatever he's instructed to. Or what about a child who has a mitzvah of kibbutz and he has to help his parents? You don't have to get paid for helping the parents. So since we say that Eden have a connection with Abishter, like we say, uh, we like either we like children or we like slaves. But we're obligated to do what Hashem wants. And on the contrary, we say, as we quoted earlier, the whole creation of a Yid is to serve Hashem. So from that we understand that the whole obligation is to serve Hashem. And in a way, being created to serve Hashem is even more than being a slave. A slave was an entity, and then he becomes bought as a slave. It's more definitely being created to serve Hashem creates more of an obligation than a child who has to serve a father. A child is, is not created to, to, be, to be a servant for the, for the parent. But if you're saying that Hashem, that the Jew, Hashem creates the Yid to be a servant to Hashem, so what kind of payment? That's his, that's his, whole, that's his whole essence. So now the Rebbe says, Ches, the explanation is like this. Teda mitzvahs have two aspects to them. Hashem gives the Teda, but he gives it to the Yid. So we understand that there are aspects from the perspective of the giver, Shem, and there's aspects that, the way we see it from the perspective of the receiver of Yidin. That's why we find, for example, about Torah, we find two extremes. It says on the one hand, the words of Torah can never, can never be susceptible to impurity. So even a Yid who learns it who's not pure, nonetheless, Dvarai, it says, Hashem says, my, it's my words are like fire. Fire doesn't become impure. However, so the words of Torah, even when learned by a person, become, from the perspective of Hashem, they're his words. They're, they're untouchable, invincible. On the other hand, we find that there's a law that you have to um, have respect for somebody who's a Talmud Chacham. Why? Because he has Torah inside of him. You have to respect the Torah. Yet, a Talmud Chacham who forgives somebody who didn't treat him with the proper respect, he can be forgiven. But how can you forgive Hashem's respect? No, because at some stage, when a person learns Torah, there's an aspect where the Torah becomes his. And he can take ownership on what's his and say, I'm forgiving it. I'm overlooking it. So, is the Torah Hashem's or does it become the student's? It depends. There's two aspects. There's an aspect, there's some aspects where we look at it from the perspective that still Hashem's Torah and untouchable. Some aspects where we say, no, the one who studied it becomes like his and he has a certain level of ownership of it. Similarly, when we talk about Torah mitzvahs in itself, um, there's, two, there's two levels of how far we have to go to do Torah mitzvahs. From the perspective of the, the one who gives the Torah, the, the Jew is obligated to do the Torah. There's no, there's no recompense needed. It's an obligation. There's no questions asked. When we talk about from the perspective of the recipient of Kalal Yisrael, the fact that he's doing Torah mitzvahs is an obligation, but it's an obligation that, like the Torah looks at, as, as, as in the realm of getting paid for, like a contractor or a hired worker. Right? So it depends. There's two aspects to it. Um, and the Rebbe points out that we're told in Allah while, while the, uh, the highest level, Hara 60, the highest level a person is supposed to try and achieve is serving Hashem from love. Without, indeed, without thinking about payment. But the Ramah himself says that's something that not everybody reaches. It's a very high level. 
So in Torah itself, while we say don't be like somebody who serves Hashem for any other reason or for reward, but that's a very high level. The general standard observance of Torah from the perspective of a Yid is that he does what Hashem wants and Hashem also rewards him for it. These two opposite concepts, on the one hand, it's, 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 so to speak, Hashem's entitlement that you work for him. That's from his perspective. On the other hand, from the Yid, understands he has an obligation to work for him, but it's like an obligation of somebody who's entered into a contract of an employer, and therefore, of course, there has to be reimbursement. These two opposite perspectives, that there's perspective of the giver, the perspective of the receiver, also expresses itself in two kinds of mitzvahs. The most mitzvahs, you don't give up your life for. There are three mitzvahs, idolatry, adultery, and, 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 and bloodshed, where we say, be killed and don't violate them. The other mitzvah says, violate them and keep your life. Hashem wants you to live in Torah mitzvahs. In other words, by the mitzvahs that are cardinal mitzvahs, you have to give up your life for the mitzvahs that we say, violate them and protect your, preserve your life. That's from the perspective of the way mitzvahs are from the recipient. From the recipient, um, recipient was created in order to do mitzvahs. And therefore we're saying part of that mission is to be. Hashem created us to do his mission. You're supposed to be a created being. You're supposed to vachayim. You're supposed to be alive. So from the perspective, the way we look at it, Hashem wants us to be alive. So, okay, sometimes we have to negotiate not doing the mitzvah because otherwise, you know, eat, uh, God forbid, eat, you know, uh, or, uh, violate the Shabbos to protect the life, which in a sense is preserving the Shabbos. That's a different discussion. However, when you look at the mitzvahs that Hashem says give up your life for, that's the way, those mitzvahs, so to speak, retain a certain perspective from Hashem's side, which is... Hashem's side, the mitzvahs have to stand firm. Nothing can change them, even, even loss of life. Are you looking at it from, from, from the giver or from the receiver? Test. So this concept, we talk about the reward of Torah mitzvahs, that really it's from the perspective of the receiver, is, more, is even more emphasized when we say that the, the mode of payment is according to the tsar. In other words, we're looking at how vested and how difficult and how uh, much effort was put in from the receiver and that's why now and this is also going to give us an additional explanation in the connection of this lefum tzayda agra statement to the mesechta ovis going lefnim shosadin in general the concept of going mili de chasidusa doing something of chasidus in other words going beyond the letter of the law this is only from the perspective of the receiver from the perspective of the giver we said we, we asked earlier from the perspective of the giver the whole obligation of a person, the person is created to serve his master. There's a certain entitlement from Hashem's perspective that a person is obligated to serve Hashem with full ability. What, what do you mean beyond the letter of the law? If you have more energy, you're able to do it, you have to do it. But that's from the perspective of Hashem. Here, Pirkei Avos is saying from the perspective of the receiver. And there's tsar, and there's reward. Hashem, you took upon yourself something you're not obligated in. Hashem appreciates that and rewards for that. And this also gives another explanation why Pirkei Avis starts off with Moshe Kibel Torah Moshe received the Torah 
And it doesn't say Hashem gave the Torah. We're starting, we're talking here. We're talking about Mili the Hasidus, the whole perspective is from the recipient. From Hashem's perspective, anything you do, you have to do 101 if you're able to. And this actually tells us the connection between the beginning and end of Pirkei Avis. The end of Pirkei Avis is speaking about the schar, about reward. Reward in general has to do with the perspective of the receiver of, of, of Yisrael. And in this itself, we're talking about the Fum Tzayra Agra, as we said, that the whole concept of paying according to effort is only from Hashem's perspective, because the effort wasn't, it wasn't obligatory. You did it. Hashem pays for it. Yud. The fact that in Lefum Tzayra Agra, we express the perspective of the receiver is not just in the quantity, so to speak, I'll commensurate with how much effort, how much pain, strain, that's how much you get paid, but also in the actual tsar, in the way of the tsar tircha. Because we're talking here about a tsar strain in doing Torah mitzvahs, which, as we said, it's, we're talking here about something voluntary, a person wasn't obligated in it. So that's like, and we said it's like, in a full analogy, it would be like a ger wasn't obligated. It's totally his volition. So it comes out that the tsar it really belongs entirely to the person. The person was not instructed on it. Right? He came to it on his own. Now we'll also understand the connection to the end of Elvis, to the beginning. In addition to the fact of what we said earlier in chapter 9. I'm going to add another depth. The, the, by Kabbalah Sater, when Moshe received the Torah in Sinai, it says, Kibel received, we're looking at the perspective of the recipient, all Yidin were like Gerim, were like converts. In other words, it seems to me that what the Rebbe is saying here, the, um, the true ownership of effort that was self, and we use inflicted, that was self-imposed is by a ger. Right? It wasn't obligated. So therefore Hashem pays. And the Chiddush is, even though it was self-imposed, and he may not have lived up to it fully, Hashem looks at that effort, that strain, that, that, that pain that he had, and rewards for that also. Says the Rebbe, we're talking Moshe Kibel Teirem Sinai, and then, the end of Pirkei really expresses itself best. It's said by a ger, its full expression, in the most real sense, is in the act of geros. Actually, let's go back to Moshe, received Teret Sinai, Yidin were like gerim then. They accepted upon themselves Teret they weren't obligated, Hashem gave them an option, they said, Nasa So there's a correlation, Moshe Kibel, the full Kibel, is an act of geos. From Saira Agra, the full expression of this statement is in a, in a state of gear. Let me point out here um, that we say that the, 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 the ger has ownership on his act of taking it upon himself. Let me point out, R71, that really we say that a ger, who does he, um, who does he, Who's his pedigree? Avram Yitzchak so Sorry. Not Avram Yitzchak Who does he belong to? To Hashem. Misham Avayah Elam. 
the Rebbe says that that's not different than what I'm saying inside the Sicha. What the Rebbe is saying, in other words, it's, it's not Hashem's act. It's His act. The Maisa Hagir, the deed of conversion, is something that's been given over to the person. He has to decide. Once that is done, once the person has been his Gaia, then his connection is directly to Hashem. And here we have a, a star within this order. Um, these two things are dependent on each other because the dedication to Hashem to fulfill the mitzvahs comes from the person so that's why it's total it's coming from the depth of the person and it's directly to Hashem yeah there are quotes here um... anyway so we continue here Yud Aleph according to this we've understood the beginning and the end Gatos is the best paradigm for this. 11. According to this, we'll understand the connection between Ben Heihei says, according to the Tsar, is a reward to the previous statement said by another enigmatic name, Ben Bagbag says, delve in it, delve in it, in Torah, everything's in Torah. Some versions have these two statements as being part of one mission. Now, Ben Bagbag was also a convert or at least children of converts. As Ben Heihei is obviously a nickname, we said it's telling us the son of somebody who was, he's a person who's connected to the two Heis, Avram and Saro, who had Heis added to the name. In other words, Gerim. Similarly, Bagbag, base and Gimel. Base is two, Gimel is three. Gematria of five. And in the full acronym, you could read base Gimel as being Ben Ger, Ben Giyadis, son of a convert, son of a convertess. And so for the same reason, why is the person called by this name? To emphasize that we're talking here about something that's fully expressed in the concept of Geirus. Why is that? Why is the saying, Delvin Teira, Delvin Teira, why is that most appreciated by somebody who's a Geir? Because a Ben Noyach and Noahide is not oblig- is, is, is obligated only in seven mitzvahs. And he has to learn the laws of those seven mitzvahs. So even though his learning of Torah for his laws is considered very lofty, it says a non-Jew who studies Torah is like a koyen god, like a high priest. When he's studying Torah that he needs to study for his halachas. Nonetheless, his learning Torah is not something that is an end in itself. It's a means to an end. It's instructional Torah. Yes, not to do his seven mitzvahs. doesn't have the advantage and virtue of learning Torah that he has where we say that everything's in the Torah. The Torah is a source of his vitality. The Torah is his connection to Hashem. When he's Megaya, when he converts, oh, then it becomes an end into itself. Torah now becomes a totally a destination for him, not just a means to get to a destination of doing his seven mitzvahs. And now we can say, this wonderful thing, learn, delve in the Torah, every aspect of it, it's everything for you. That's only somebody once has already become a gear. So we're saying when Bagbag is the one to, to highlight the, the great, wondrous aspect of Torah because he can really appreciate it. Because he had Torah as a Noahide where the Torah was just instructional to get out what you need from it. And now he becomes a Yid. The Geras gives you an, a, 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 an appreciation for the wondrous quality of Torah, delve into it, everything's there, it's your connection to Hashem, it's unbelievable, it's Kedusha. 
and how we can understand the connection of the two of the two things. First, we have Ben Barbag who tells us about the the, the, the wondrousness of Torah when looked at from the perspective of somebody who learned Torah only instructionally as a Ben Noyach and then he learns Torah as a Yid. And then we move on to Ben Hei, ben who speaks about Lefum Tzayda Agra, which speaks about the effort in doing mitzvahs because Talmud, Maisa, Talmud brings to Maisa. First we talk about Torah, Ben Bagbag, Afochba, Afochba, Delvin Torah. And then Ben Hei, who says, Lefum Tzayda Agra, according to your Tzar will be the reward for the mitzvahs you do with effort. Move from Torah to mitzvahs. That, that makes perfect sense. Yud base. All in Yanim of Torah. Also the names of the people that are saying the statements are exact. So for this we understand that the connection of these two statements. Delve in it and delve in it. And according to your tzar will be a reward. The fact that this is connected to the two chachamim. Respectively. Ben Bagbag and Ben Heye. is not just a general concept. From the fact that both of them was Gedim. There's two different aspects to names. Which talk about two different aspects of these statements. Now, the proof that there is meaning in each of the separate names is because there is an opinion that Ben Bagbag and Hey Hey were actually the same person. Bagbag is just a code word for Hey because Bagbag we said is a gematria of five. However, since by the statement of Afach Bavafach, even if let's say they are one person, but for the fact that in the statement of Delve in the Torah. The word, the name Ben Bagbag is used. Whereas the word of the other statement, it's from Tzaragra, the name Ben Heye is used, obviously tells us that there's a difference, there's a different meaning in each of the names, which relates to the statement they're saying. In other words, if they're two separate people, then for sure they're two different statements. Even if they're the same people, on the contrary, the fact that you use two different nicknames for the same person means that each nickname... Each name brings out a connection with a statement that's attributed to that name. So what's, what's the connection to each of the names? When we talk about the nickname Ben Hey Hey, and he says that according to your tsar will be the reward, there you see a deeper connection with the concept of Hegeir. More than in the name Ben Bagbag. Because as the Rajbam says, that the, the name Bagbag, which is only gematria of the Hey, which relates to the Hey of Avram, you know, is more is more hidden. Now similarly, when you look at the two statements, the statements of Delve in the Torah, that's speaking about something that's more hidden. It's saying Delve in the Torah to find the hiddenness that's, that's buried in the Torah. Delve in it, even deeper Delve in it. We speak about the effort, the pain and strain of mitzvahs. That's not something you have to go and delve into. That's obvious. So when we're talking about what kind of Torah do you have to delve into? Torah that, for, there's two parts of Torah. There's instructional Torah to know what you have to do. Then there's the Torah that's the depth of Torah, which is the hiddenness of it. In other words, the back and forth, the pilpul, shakli vitaya, question, answer, deep, um, intricate discussion, which there's still, you, when you don't come to a conclusion of a halacha, there's still the hiddenness, the, the, the concealment there. As, as Chazal say, what is, the, some of us explain, what does it mean, delve in it, delve in it? We're talking here about the kind of Torah where, where the Gemara says that there were some sages who would give you 49 reasons why this thing should be impure, and then they would give you the 49 reasons why this thing should be pure, even though 
both sides, both positions are opposing to each other. The same rabbi is giving you, you can see it from these 49 perspectives, why it should be Tame, these 49 perspectives, why it should be Tare. That's the kind of depth of Tare, delve in it, delve in it, but we're talking about the more esoteric, more, more hidden, um, concealed, dig and dig and dig. So, really, if we look at it that way, whereas when we're talking about the effort somebody puts forth in mitzvahs to strain, that's something more revealed. That's, we're not talking about hidden things, we're talking about uh, an open kind of situation. So, the statement of the Fum Tzayra Agra is a more revealed statement. The statement of Fokhba is more of a concealed state of being. The Mela, when we talk about, uh, because we talk about the effort that Yid has when he takes upon himself something revealed that he's doing, something particular that he's doing. It's not something that remains unnamed and hidden and you have to delve into it, right? So therefore, when we talk about the two statements, we have Hafachba is attributed to somebody whose name is Ben Bagbag, where in his name, his relationship to the Gerim is more concealed. And the Fum Agar, which is a more revealed state, we have in a, uh, in a more revealed name, Ben Hey Hey, which is obviously related to the Ger. Um, the Rebbe says here, the Rebbe finishes off in R90, similarly with a concept of the analogy of conversion that's applicable to everybody. Right? So we said that, that when we say according to the effort, this is something a person always needs to be trying to do Sorry, let, let me paraphrase. Um, no, you know what? I'm sorry. Hara 90, worthy to learn, but I'm, I forgot uh, exactly what it means. I'm sorry. All the best. Along Sicha.